2FM. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men Advanced Deodorant and Body Wash. Let the confidence last. Game on. Weeknights from 6. On 2FM. Thanks to two Johnnies. It's Monday, the 11th of December, and you're listening to Game On. Coming up today, Stephen Ferris and Keen Tracy review round one of the Champions Cup as Leinster finally get one over La Rochelle. They did, and in soccer, Stephen Kelly talks Premier League as Aston Villa's impressive run continues. Plus, in swimming, we'll hear from our new world record holder, Daniel Whiffen. If you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or find us on X at Game On 2FM. <laughs> On 2FM. Welcome along. Keen Tracy is with us in studio. How are things? Good weekend, Ruby? Yeah, yeah, good weekend, Marie. It was um, some good racing in Navan and Sandown and Aintree as well on Saturday. Yesterday was a bit quieter. Uh, El Fabiola won at Cork. And other than that, it was really enjoyable, sort of two hours on early Saturday as I berated Alan Colley over early kick-off times <laughs> as Liverpool went top of the Premier League um, I had really good crack doing that actually mm, I'd say so now they didn't play great though what was the score? 2-1 did they win? yeah but Jurgen Klopp top, said are, it was are they top of the Premier League? they are but Jurgen Klopp said it was the worst 78 minutes of football that he'd ever seen them play who's top of the Premier League again? yes yes. Liverpool are top of the Premier League yes you're right did Ruby. Arsenal play at half five? Arsenal played Villa at half five yeah how did they get on? they did not win but they're All right. yeah. sorry Jurgen <laughs> Keen is looking at us here now staying out of the row yeah I'll let row. you do it it's not a row I'm just getting very uh, willy <laughs> on the zest there who won the race uh, any sporting highlights Ruby? Um, sporting highlights I suppose Dalian Whiffen breaking a world record mm. a swimming world record for Ireland that would have to be a highlight wouldn't it? absolutely yeah amazing three gold medals incredible stuff yeah so of course nice then the question popping up today is he peaking too soon Olympics coming up in the summer uh, I love that we can't celebrate anything that's like you know? Ireland in World <laughs> yeah, Cup cycles exactly too soon. Yeah. just let the guy enjoy his moment <laughs> we can't do that though Keen. we're not actually able without, it's such an Irish thing yeah, isn't, isn't it well my limited knowledge of swimming now it is short course and long course is is a bit different um, but uh, look he's going in the right direction and you know when you get to a long course he's going to have to probably be better again tell us a little bit more about that then I didn't understand it only my daughter is in the yeah, swimming club and obviously short course 25 minute pool the more turns you get the more kick you get off the wall Okay. so in a short course when you're swimming an 800 like Daniel Whiffen was you're, every 25 metres you're getting a push off the wall whereas long course which is Olympic swimming you only turn every 50 metres so okay. it is actually more stamina sappy right Okay, well, we've had him on a few times. We're going to hear from him now um, in a little while as well. He spoke to Shane, but he's a really interesting character and it's great to have people like him, I think, in the sport um, that you get to see a little bit of their personality and it's not just all about focusing on the sport that you you get to know them a little bit. So looking forward to hearing that in a little while. Um, my sporting highlight was Arsenal women setting a new attendance record of 59,042 for the Women's Super League. Um, they beat Chelsea at the weekend, but it's just becoming more normal now for there to be huge crowds at these games. And um, yeah, really enjoyed seeing it. And I think after the conversation we had on Friday as well, Ruby, um, it was brilliant to see so many women front and centre on different sports over the weekend. And now that we can see attendance is starting to grow as well, it's, um, it's all just moving in the right direction. I enjoyed the weekend. I know we had that chat on Friday, but I would say Joey Barton started on his own there. 
Yeah, but he's making a lot of noise and everybody's, like Emma Hayes was asked about it, a lot of the other um, sports broadcasters were asked about it. So he is getting a bit of traction and I think it's one of those things, if people do share his opinion, they're probably not coming out saying it either, Ruby. But is that more reflective of society, that it's controversy and bad news is all we want to talk about? More so than, like, who really cares that Joey Barton has even known it? Yeah, well, I actually was laughing because I said to my kids I was like I'm going to have a chat with them about this and I said what do you think of what Joey Barton said and they said who's he I said Grant we don't need to have this chat move on <laughs> and I, was I enjoyed um, Alex Scott's um, sign off yeah. yesterday or the day before yeah. it was like brilliant just so well eloquently yeah. put and so game. matter of fact yeah. and that football and sport is better mm-hmm. having women involved and around the table and front and centre and behind the camera and in front of the camera and that's just going to be life now so um He's going to have to move on to something else pretty quickly. Any sporting highlight from you, Keane? Uh, well, it wasn't a great weekend for the Irish in the Champions Cup, which obviously I know we're going to get on to. Leinster sort of sparing the blushes. Um, and I thought the highlight of that game was Kieran Frawley's uh, kick at the end. It wasn't quite a match-winning kick, but to kick it from 60 metres with the French crowd in La Rochelle booing um, in the wind and the rain. I know he had the wind at his back, but like that was not an easy kick. And when he was lining it up, I think people thought he was just going to try and waste time, run the clock down. But then when he absolutely nailed it, with a bit to spare as well, and he's been a guy, obviously, who's been making a lot of headlines lately, you know, should he be the, the Lencer 10 and all that? Um, so I thought it was a massive moment and one which, again, is going to, I think, continue the debate around should he, shouldn't he, where should he be playing? I think Andy Farrell, uh, it won't have gone unnoticed by him as well with a Six Nations squad around the corner. Well, we've moved on to rugby now, so we may as well bring Stephen Ferris in on the conversation. How are you, Stephen? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. I'd rather be chatting to you, to be honest, with uh, for... Irish province wins and not any negativity but yeah well, it didn't go all our way all our way and I think in general the URC teams actually struggled a little bit in the first round of the, the Champions Cup so um, yeah but I'll tell you what there was some great rugby played uh, throughout the weekend thoroughly enjoyed it It was great rugby played throughout the weekend and where look we were talking about Kieran Frawley so you might as well stay with Leinster who were obviously in La Rochelle west coast of France lashing rain but it was a real Old-fashioned game, Stephen. Pulling up your jumper. Defensive game. But it was good to watch. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, I'm not like the, the rugby purist like myself. Uh, and you, Ruby, th- thoroughly enjoyed it. I think a lot of people might have just flicked it over um, just because it was it was pretty stop-start, wasn't it, at times? Neither team could really get into the rhythm. And that was just really down to the, the weather conditions. Like, it was absolutely horrendous. Um uh, La Rochelle's line-out didn't really function. I thought La Rochelle, I, I think, probably did, when they, when they look back at it, they did enough in that second half to win the game. It's just their decision-making, their leadership on the pitch, going to the corner, losing the line-out. Then next thing, they take a penalty. When they, um, you know, the penalty before they had in front of the sticks and they turned it down, but then they try and kick one from 45 metres out into the wind. And then they have one back close in front of the sticks again and then they go back to the corner. It was... It was like the weirdest decisions going on. I was like, why are they not just kicking three points? There's 20 minutes left here. That'll close it back to one point. But yeah, it just it just felt like um, Leinster got after them in, in certain aspects. I thought Ryan Baird was just so enthusiastic throughout the game. Um, kickoffs, uh, any time that 
La Rochelle went up. He was flying and just disrupting everything. Um, after James Ryan, the second row partnership went McCarthy as well was was really good. And and Kieran Frawley just to, to finish on him, you know, a sixty meter kick. Um, he backed himself to the absolute hilt. Yes, there was a bit of wind behind him, but like with the lash and rain coming down, and you know, obviously that's going to try and beat the ball down a little bit in the air. So it was a magnificent kick, and you know, fair play to Leinster to go away from home against the old arch enemies in La Rochelle and, and get a result is a you know really set the competition. Um, got them going really well early in the competition and, and lays down a marker to the rest of the teams. Wouldn't you have loved a little microphone on the happy-looking Corkman in the box up in the stand when La Rochelle were making those bizarre <laughs> choices as to whether they kick to the corner or kick for the post? You'd just love to know what he was saying. It was unusual. Oh, I mean, the, for even like for yeah. Ronan O'Gara team, I totally agree with what Stephen's saying. I mean, that game, the way it played out, the conditions was the very definition of cup rugby and La Rochelle, I don't know, seemed to lose their heads a little bit. I couldn't agree more. I mean, their, their thinking was so... So muddled, and yeah, O'Gara was obviously Ruby up in uh, one of the boxes because he was serving um, a one-game ban, which, I mean, you read the quotes again afterwards, he's obviously not happy about and thinks that he's been picked on a little bit over in France. And look, we, we don't know how much that it would have impacted the... I suppose the preparations and especially on the day because it works a little bit differently in France where O'Gara tends to be down in the touchline rather than in um, a coaching box. But like from a Leinster point of view, this was a massive, massive victory. I think, like for psychological reasons, I think more than more than anything else. Like Stevens just touched on it, kind of it opens up the competition for them now that they've gone away to La Rochelle. But this La Rochelle team hadn't been beaten in two and a half years. I mean, they're back to back champions. They're so difficult to beat in Marcel de Flandre to keep them to win and to keep them trialless was an amazing achievement and I think it was the manner that Leinster really dug in I think it's far too early to to be heaping praise on Jack Neenarber because he's only got his foot in the door but that kind of defensive grit is exactly what I think we're going to expect from Leinster um, over the next few months so um, it was huge I think another player that's worth mentioning Stephen mentioned a few of them there as well was Will Connors I thought he was exceptional really he emptied himself for the 40 odd minutes he was on the pitch he'd become I'd say a little bit of a forgotten man in Irish rugby just been a horrible time over the last two years uh, with different injuries but he was picked uh, as a horses for courses selection his chop tackling I mean right from the off even on from the kickoff on Uni Antonio he chops him down at source and like that was a massive, massive part, I think, of, of Leinster winning. Josh van der Fleer comes on and made a big impact. He's the one who wins the, the turnover at the end as well. So um it'd be I'd love to know, we'll never find out, but I'd love to know if Will Connors being selected was a Neen Arbor selection to me. It seems like it would be and a guy like Ryan Baird, who again Stephen touched on. I think Neen Arbor coming in could really, I think, take Ryan Baird's career to the next level I think we all know what he's capable of in terms of his athleticism and stuff like that but he reminds me a little bit of kind of a Peter Steph Dutoy who you know has been exceptional for South Africa and you know Neen Arbor and Rassi Rasmus have really gotten the best out of him and I think a guy like Ryan Baird would have watched him over the last couple of years pretty at the World Cup just gone and thinking you know if I can be a quarter of the player that that guy is then I'll be on to a good thing so I think it was timely from Ryan Baird and Will Connors that they they haven't gone away Stephen, let's go back to the 10 situation because it is dominating a lot of conversation and we saw Harry Byrne going off and Kieran Frawley coming on and both did really good jobs in the position. But what should happen now in the 10, do you think? Um, like I think I think Harry actually played very, very well and he obviously took a bit of a bang before he went off. But it just feels like everybody had said to me that 
around Dublin and I've watched Kieran Frawley play a hell of a lot more than, than myself. Like this guy has it, and I was like, I'm not sure. I haven't really seen it yet. You know, anytime he gets a chance for Leinster, you know, he's he's okay. And then obviously he's been in so many match day squads, and he's had to pull out of a few because he uh, of injuries and picked up niggles or whatever. Um, we haven't really got to see the, a string of games, and then he just comes on, and the first thing that he does is set the the ball down in the kick and tee again like into into a breeze. Uh, weather conditions horrific. You know, his team are banking on him to get this three points just before the halftime break. And he just steps up, puts the ball in the tee, one or two breaths, bangs it over straight into the sheds at halftime. And it's just like, he just uses that bit, bit more confidence, I think, than, than Harry Byrne. Or, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Harry just um, doesn't show it in the same way. But I think Kieran Frawley really has... You know, stood up to the hype that has been generated over the last couple of weeks, especially by by us in the media and by pundits, by analysts. Um, not just in Ireland, by the way. You know, there's lots of people that are talking about Kieran Frawley across the water, also. Um, and anytime there's a little bit of pressure, he seems to rise to it. You know, he played brilliant against Monster when he had to come on. Then he gets the win and try against Connacht. Then he, you know, puts the boots on and laces them up and strikes a couple of lovely nudges over the bar to to get lengths of the win away to La Rochelle so you, know, you can't doubt this guy's confidence or ability and he, he stood up to the mark so far Ken, what are they they like now now that we're pitting them against each other um, Harry and um, Kieran Frawley what are they like character wise um, I would say they're both very confident in, in their own ability. I think the, the big difference is that Kieran Frawley hasn't had time in the saddle at out half. He's played most of his rugby at 12 and at 15. And you talk to, to any player, like they'll, they'll tell you that you know game time is the most important, but particularly in a position like out half, I think just to speak about another one, I think we're seeing the benefit of a guy like Jack Crowley, the amount of game time that he's gotten over the last few months at 10, rather than being shifted to full back at 12, which he was doing a little bit of as well so look Harry Byrne has played in a position far more often it's clear it seems clear from the outside looking in that Leinster view Harry Byrne as a head of Kieran Frawley in the pecking order because Kieran Frawley I think he would have played against Connacht uh, the week before last after he played so well coming on for Ross Byrne and it was really unfortunate that that Harry Byrne went off I mean his role in the try was really pivotal if you just watch the, the delay he puts on the pass um, from Ringrose out the back and then chips it on to Jamie O'Brien I mean that wasn't the easiest thing in the world to do but he he made it look so particularly in the, in the conditions so it was a real pity to see him go off because while I was like I would have thought Kieran Frawley would have been a really good selection for that game because he's probably a better defender I think than than Harry Byrne. But I thought Harry Byrne fully justified his his selection while he was on the pitch. And look again, Leo Cullen would just say, well, that's why we have a guy like Kieran Frawley to to call upon because he comes on and like Stephen said with his first kick of the game he kicks three points and his last kick of the game he kicks it from sixty meters. Um, it wasn't perfect uh, by any means. It was never going to be in conditions like that. But um, I think Frawley did so well when he came on that it means like the debate is, is still a live one as much as I think Leinster would prefer if it wasn't and like a lot will depend on if Harry Byrne is fit for this week or not he obviously went off with an injury and if he's not fit then Kieran Frawley is going to be guaranteed to start and maybe that is the little window that he needs to, to kick on and make the number 10 jersey his own well, live debate and a great debate to have uh, especially with no Johnny Sexton in a green shirt either but looking down the road to Tolman Park if we go backwards to these games rather than forwards Munster I think Graham Roundtree described 17 all as a loss, Stephen Ferris and Jack Crowley, whereas Kieran Foley nailed his last kick, didn't quite nail his one. 
No, do you know what? I, I was just watching the game and it just felt like Bayonne were going to come back. It, it just it just had this air about it. Munster haven't been brilliant this season. They haven't been firing on all cylinders. There's been teams have got the upper hand on them, especially in their, their mall defence, as we've seen against Glasgow there a couple of weeks ago. But Bayonne did play a little bit more rugby against them and and those closing 10 minutes, they were the ones that were putting on the pressure and uh, I know Crowley had an opportunity to, to knock over the drop goal at the end, but it should never have came to that. It should never have came to that. I think their game management in the second half wasn't good enough. All these cross-field kicks like on their own 10-meter line, um, you know, kick pass that went straight out. Um, there was uh, you know, chip kicks as well. It, it almost felt like they get into a bit of a bad habit in that second half instead of just kneeling them long and, and putting the pressure back on Bayonne. Um, but yeah, that's that, that's monster. They've they've got two points out of it, and now they're away to an Exeter team that got a, a huge, huge result away in Toulon. A game that I, I watched every minute of. It, it was quality from start to finish. And Exeter, Exeter will be very buoyant. A team that's obviously won the European Cup in recent years. Um, lots of quality, coached by uh, you know a really good guy and Rob Baxter. And you know it's going to be a really tough ask for Monster to go away. Um, the uh, extra and get that result so yeah it's a bit of a kick in the teeth Ruby for, for Munster not to get the job done against Bayonne Keen, they've got a huge amount of injuries mm. is it as simple as that though? I don't really think it is but I do think it is worth mentioning the not just the amount of players but the calibre of players that they were missing I think it really showed up um, albeit against uh, the worst French side in the tournament it was their first time playing in the Champions Cup and they left most of their uh, frontline players at home because they're sitting in 10th in the top 14 table so their main aim this season is to consolidate their place in the French top flight I mean the Champions Cup is a bit of a bonus really so that makes I think that kind of counterbalances the, the players that Munster were missing but you look at the size of the props even alone that Bayon had starting and called off the bench they had the Munster scrum under enormous pressure but then Munster were missing guys like you know Dave Kilcoyne um, Ollie Yeager Edwin Adogbo Orgy Snyman Jean Klein Peter O'Mahony I mean these guys would make a big difference but at the same time it's no excuse really to to draw. I think Graham Rountree hit the nail on the head afterwards when he said it felt like a defeat because it really did. And, you know, Ruby there touched on the drop goal that Jack Crowley had at the end, but it's kind of been lost in the wash a little bit and Stephen touched on it there. I mean, Bayon were piling on the pressure a Munster before that drop goal came around. They they needed a tie burn trademark turnover deep inside their own 22. This is when it was a draw and Bayon were pushing to score a match-winning try. And then they go down the other end of the field and Tom O'Hearn, you know, has to come up with a line-out steal. So that's what actually put them into position for those 19 phases. So um, in a way, Munster were maybe slightly fortunate to come away with with a draw that could be really important I mean getting two points um, I know Stephen's pointing out how uh, much of a big win Exeter had this weekend but I don't think Munster should fear uh, going to Sandy Park um, either I think that result was a bit of a, a surprise really I don't think Exeter are the force of old and if Munster can get a couple of those guys back I think Peter O'Mahony for example is due to be back this week he'd make a big difference uh, Edwin Adogbo maybe as well Um so they've backed themselves into a bit of a corner with the way the new format is you're kind of looking at it if you can win your two home games then you're pretty well set for the knockout stages so now okay it wasn't uh, a defeat but Munster are going to need a, a result on the road you'd imagine so they play Exeter this weekend and then after Christmas they go to Toulon which is usually a very tough place to go albeit that Exeter did get a great win there this weekend So I know this competition is very different and we were talking about 
how different it was last week, um, not with you, but and some people are kind of thinking, well, the first weekend you can work your way into it. But all of a sudden, Munster, Ulster, Connacht, after losing the first weekend, really are on the back foot. Yeah, hugely on the back foot, um, massively so. And especially when you get absolutely nothing out of the game as well, um, which Ulster didn't, uh, and also Connacht, who got absolutely battered at home. And yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a tough format, um, but you got to rely on your home games. And Ulster have got a, a huge home game uh, this coming weekend against Racing ninety two. Who watched the game last night? Like, I just uh, I couldn't believe what I was watching. Like at times, it was it was mental. It was absolutely mental. Marcus Smith and uh, absolutely bossing it uh, over in Paris, um, and they somehow snuck a, a lovely win at the end of the game and um, I think there was a knock on just a, it was a, again a weird one I had no idea why Racing didn't go to their mall they kicked to the corner uh, instead they went for a tap and go the first one um, didn't go to plan and they got another penalty and went again and bang up came a few of the Harlequins players and they were forced to knock on and that was it so that's that's what Ulster have got this weekend is a wounded Racing 92, where if they come to Belfast and they lose and they don't get anything out of the game, you, you could nearly say that they're they're more or less done in the competition. And there are a team that are absolutely flying high in the top 14. So it's going to be hugely uh, difficult for Ulster, um, especially after their last couple of weeks. The poor result away to Glasgow, the home defeat to Edinburgh. The scrum was under huge, huge pressure. I think five out of the last eight games have got absolutely destroyed at scrum time. Um, Stephen Kitzkoff hasn't really made a difference however I don't believe that all the pressure is coming on the loose head side it, it definitely seems to be young uh, Tom O'Toole and Marty Moore that are coming under the huge pressure so yeah it's, it's going to be very tough and, and obviously Conant are, are, are away to Saracens who um, didn't get anything out of their game so and, and Saracens are usually um, you know, it's usually a home run when when they're playing uh, in front of their home crowd. So yeah, it's going to be tough for the Irish sides, uh, especially Connacht and Ulster, as you rightly say, Ruby. Just on Ulster, Stephen, there is a bit of a sense that all isn't right in Ulster at the moment. What what are your thoughts on it? Uh, Ray, I think that's not the first time you've said that in the last couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's uh, it's weird, yeah. It's do you know what? I, it's, it's difficult for me um, looking from the outside in. I get very little feedback from the players now because I don't really know any of them um, uh, personally. So like where three or four years ago, I would have been able to you know, send a few texts and have a few chats and meet up for a few coffees and, and get the ins and outs of what's going on. But it's, it's a really is a bit of a closed shop at the minute. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if that's the word coming from the top to make sure that it is that way. But, you know the proof's in the pudding, and the proof is that the boys are not playing well. They are not playing well. If they've come out this season about this new style of rugby that they're going to try and implement into their game, and it just hasn't worked at all. Um, and I think one of the main reasons for that is because their scrum, honestly, their scrum is getting absolutely decimated. Like it is, it's really, really worrying. Um, and also their mall defence has been very poor. And one thing that they always go to is is their mall uh, an attack uh, you usually get some dividends out of that but yeah their big players aren't playing well either I know Stockdale scored a handful of tries in the URC but Balakoon not playing particularly well um, 
with Billy Burns went off at the weekend. Jake Flannery missed a one-on-one tackle, one, one -on -one tackle with Ollie Lawrence, even though I know they were down to 14 men, but not playing particularly well. John Cooney, Nathan Doak, who's the best nine? Uh, McCluskey looked like he, he just couldn't get into the game at the weekend there. Uh, yeah, and then I think Henderson was the only one that really stood up. I thought he had a, a pretty good game, especially with ball in hand, but I'm not sure is the long-winded answer to your question of what why things just don't feel right at Ulster at the minute and if you keep on losing the pressure is going to keep on um, being put on Dan McFarland the rest of his coaching staff Dan McFarland has this year and another year I believe left in his contract so I don't think there will be any quick decisions made if, if there was going to be a change um, after another couple of defeats but they've got Rasling 92 at home Connard at home Leinster away and like you three out of three with, with defeats there you know it, it, I'm sure somebody will, will face the chop but hopefully it doesn't happen and you know a big win against Racing this weekend and hopefully they can turn things around and get a bit of confidence back in the team Yeah well we know that they're able to turn things around um, when they need to but it, it's just a case as you said we've had this conversation a few times and Keen, I just found it a little bit strange last week that Dan McFarland was talking about the standards in training not being mm. at, at the right level well, like last season, there was grumblings that all wasn't well in terms of in, in the dressing room and there was a lot of pressure on Dan McFarland. Obviously, he survived. But, I mean, you're asking the, the same question again because the sense of deja vu with Ulster is just unavoidable, really. Um, like Stephen's mentioning, you know, they're possibly coming up with a big performance and a big win this weekend. Like, the thing is, I don't think it would be a surprise to anyone if Ulster did pull something out of the bag, but it's what's coming next. It's the lack of... It's the lack of consistency game to game, but also within games. Like, Ulster are really struggling, Stephen, aren't they, to put an 80-minute performance together. And it's it's alarming, really, because that game against Bath at the weekend was actually close. I mean, it, don't, it didn't look like it on the scoreline in the end, but for large periods, it was close. I mean, the, the Ulster try, was it the Nathan Doak one, uh, was a reminder yeah. of what Ulster are capable of when they fire in all cylinders in their attack. But I know Bath are doing really well in the Premiership and Johan van Graan has done a really good job there but God at times they made they also made Bath look like the, the vintage All Blacks you know which was deeply deeply concerning so um, yeah I'm not sure where, where Ulster go from here to be honest it just seems like uh, they're stuck in neutral a little bit and we've said that so often I think over the last few years I think we have Pete Wilkins is going having a pretty blunt conversation in Connacht probably Saturday morning maybe Sunday morning how blunt exactly was that going to have to be Stephen? Oh wow um, I actually fancied Connor. I know um, Bordeaux have been going very well and they've absolutely some. of course there's some superstars in their team but I just felt like after the Leinster performance that last minute try against them you know they let the game slip through their fingers that there would be a bit of a reaction and yeah there was a reaction for five minutes in the game and then it just went uh, yeah, it just went the wrong way, the completely the wrong way. Um, physically dominated, uh, Bordeaux were keeping the ball alive, um, just breaking three tackles, huge physicality, and Connacht weren't at the races. And listening to you know Donico Callahan, who I know uh, does a lot of work with with us in RTE, like he was he was saying that you know Pete Wilkins has to go in and you know go through the lads you know it, that just wasn't acceptable um, in a Connacht jersey and I have to agree with them like I really do it's just it, it just you know that's not the way that you represent your your province and your club um, putting in a performance like that and it's we, we you rarely see that with Connacht like especially at home in the sports ground and I think that's what's 
taken everybody back is that you know, it's been a long time since the team has went to the sports ground and give them you know, an absolute hammering, um, especially with the side that they had out. And with experience and Finley Bealham and Buckley in the front row, they obviously got the, the Shepherds hooked in at halftime. Um, and you know, a couple of other lads were, weren't at the races either. So a really, really disappointing performance. Um, I was actually chatting to Pete Wilkins during the week and I was asking him about um, is uh, you know his best twenty three players using the URC. There's been so much rotation, and have you finally found your best twenty three players? And he said to me, "Yeah, Stevie, do you know what? After that Leinster game, I think I think we probably are nearly there." Well, I think that's completely out the window. Like after that game at the weekend, because you know some of those lads let let him down. I I believe at the weekend, and um, there's going to have to be a reaction um, this weekend away in Saracens, and we'll see how that goes. Just before we finish up, Keane, the Premiership clubs, uh, they played really well this weekend. Mm. Do you think it's sustainable for them, this form? Well, it should be, given the, the calibre of players that they have um, in the league. But I mean, I don't think I'd be getting too carried away. It is only week one. It was a poor weekend for the URC in standards, not just the, the Irish provinces. But I mean, there's no reason why the English team shouldn't be competing at the business end of this. But... Um, I think some of the performances, um, the teams that they were up against might have played into that. I mean, Exeter had a brilliant win. Northampton had a, a great win in Scottsdale on Friday night as well. But um, I'm reserving judgment just yet. I still think uh, there's a bit of a gap between the likes of Leinster, your La Rochelle's and your Toulouse. Um, but certainly it was a good weekend yeah, for the Premiership, which is much needed because it's been much maligned over the mm-hmm. last few years. It most certainly has and is facing its own financial difficulties as well. But to Stephen Ferris and Keane Tracy, thanks a million for taking time to talk to us this evening. We have a quick break to take and back with Daniel Whiffen. Game on on 2FM. Welcome back. As you probably know by now, Irish swimming sensation Daniel Whiffen has had another breakthrough event over the weekend, winning his third gold of the European Shore Course Championships in Style 2, setting a new 800 metre freestyle shore course world record in the process. Shane Dawson caught up with Daniel a little bit earlier this afternoon. First off, Daniel, massive congratulations. Uh, world record holder now. 24 hours on, has it begun to sink in a bit more or how do you reflect on it? Yeah, I actually find it weird when people say that I'm a world record holder now, to be honest. Um, it is sinking, I think. I think when I go training tonight is when it will sink in because I'll finally see my coach and I haven't seen him since, obviously, before the championship. So um, I've been hearing that he's very excited. So, yeah. <laughs> I can imagine he's very excited. Um, you say you'll see him at training tonight. So you're pretty much world record yesterday, off a flight today, back in England, and you're back at it again this evening. Yeah, I mean, I don't like this championships wasn't like a main championships for me whatsoever. I'm more prepping towards the world championships in February. So this was just like a, we didn't really even rest, to be honest. It was just like getting, swimming and get out and train. Do you give yourself any time though to appreciate the the magnitude of what you have achieved? Like you must even mentally to be able to say, listen, I am a world record holder. What an achievement. Yeah, I mean... Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to take any time off for it. Uh, I just like get on with what I'm doing. But uh, I mean, it's amazing. It's obviously, it's my life goal was to break a world record. Uh, and I want to do it long course more than short course. So I've done halfway there, basically. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, my, my brother keeps me grounded, to be honest. I'm lucky to have him. Otherwise, I probably would be, uh, oh, like, I don't know, shouting it everywhere. <laughs> 
what drives you more, the world records or the medals? Uh, ooh, I want to say I love aiming for world records. Uh, I know records aren't there forever, which is kind of why people love the medals because, I mean, your medal's there forever. You always remember as a, a gold medalist or a silver bronze medalist, but uh, world record, you know, at the time, it's you're the fastest ever. It's just great. Did it make it a bit more special considering it was a 15-year record? It was held by someone that, it's fair to say, you, you would have admired growing up? Yeah, I mean, the guy who held it, Grant Hacker, is one of the best swimmers ever. De- definitely top three in my eyes. I put him up there and I uh, shared 15-year-old record. It was the oldest world record on the books. And, yeah, I mean, it was obviously, it was needing to go. I haven't been 15 years old and I'm just happy that I was had the privilege of taking it. And I actually uh, uh, really look up to Grant Hackett and I was texting him before and uh, he's really happy that I got the record and he told me to really enjoy it now because they don't last forever. What's been key to your success? Because it seems like quite an understatement, but you're in great shape considering you're coming away from a short course championships with three gold medals and a world record. Yeah, I mean, I probably just put it down to my training group, to be honest. I mean, we uh, we had three three out of the eight people in that final I trained with, including myself. Uh, <laughs> uh, but um, so, I mean, like that alone just pushes you along, like in training. I mean, I'm racing all the time. We have another we guy. Really, we should have four in the final uh, out of the eight, but one of the guys missed out. But uh, yeah, we just push each other all the time. And I think that's it. It's just that we race. I prefer training more than racing. Maybe that's why I, I could not race again and just train for the rest of my life. I love it. And I think that's why I just love the sport. Um, I'm assuming so the the, the focus now is, is firmly set on the world championships in, in Doha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So not long till that, I think um, over two, just over two months until we hit that. And uh, we'll all be fully resting for that. And I'll be adding a 400 freestyle, which I did at this meet. This is a test of meet for me. I never do the 400 freestyle. I said this in the interview after that it's not my main event and I ended up winning it, which was kind of mad. And then, so we're going to try this at the World Championships to see if we can put it into our Olympic program and uh, see what happens. What are the, the goals then for, for the Worlds? Because you had two fourth place finishes mm-hmm. in the previous one. Yeah, so I finished at fourth in the 800, fourth in the 500, and I broke the European record long course in the 800. So I think I just go in with the mindset with that I just need to be better than I was before. That's why I just say every competition. So, but fourth, third is better than fourth, or second, or first. So I'll take any medal, basically. <laughs> How much extra confidence will you have given the results in, in the short course championships over the weekend? Yeah, I mean, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to take it on the, like, take it. As it goes, I mean, like to come away with three goals, I just, I, I haven't really comprehended it to be honest yet. I just like think it's like another meet. Uh, I'll probably when I go tonight and I see all the rest of my teammates, I'll probably big it up a lot more. But uh, yeah, so I, I think I'm going to take so much confidence from the swims, especially the world record swim, because uh, I mean, I was three nearly uh, just under three seconds under that world record, and I mean, it hasn't been touched in so long. and I mean, I think I won the race by 10 seconds, which is unheard of, to be honest. And um, I think maybe I've scared a couple of my competitors as well. I don't know. But uh, yeah, so I'll take a lot of confidence from that and just try and convert it as much as possible to long course and see how fast we can go. How difficult will 
that conversion be going going come from short form to, to long form? Well, I actually prefer long course. You know, I don't really like short course swimming. There's too many turns for me, and I'm, I'm my turns actually are quite good. But um, I say that I my stroke is more preferred to long course, and also I just like it better because it's so much, in my opinion, it's a lot easier because you don't have to turn as much and you feel sick. <laughs> I, I I I love the. I don't know if nonchalance is, is the right word of it's a test event. And like, not only do you, you, you get a world, right, you smash it. Like you, you said yourself, like win about by that margin. It's, it's, it's just freakishly good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I've watched this video back like four times with my brother. I mean, this is probably why I'm like not bigger than much because Nathan, my twin will just be like, Oh, it was okay. I thought you were going on. I thought you would have gone faster. <laughs> but yeah, maybe that's it. I think maybe I just think I could have gone faster, I guess. Is this the best shape you've been in, in in your career, do you think? Uh, do you know what? I'd actually say that that day I wasn't in the best shape. Uh, I'd say that, though, right now, in terms of fitness, I'm probably the best I've ever been, yeah. But in terms of the world record day, definitely, that was probably one of my worst days. I was not good in the morning. I had, like, some kind of food poisoning, I think. I was, like, up at 1 a.m. in the bathroom. <laughs> I, I, I don't even want to think what the, the margin of victory would have been that if you had to be in a hundred percent. Like so you were you you're saying you're going into that race and you weren't operating at a hundred percent. No, I, I was really unwell to be honest before it, which was kind of a uh like I was going into the competition and I when I woke up, I, I was like, Oh, I don't even know if I'm gonna be able to swim the final tonight. And then but then I was like, All right. Uh well to start off, I weighed myself to see how much I'd lost. I lost a kilo and a half. Uh, which kind of, I think, works into my advantage, to be honest, because I'm a bit lighter. means I can go a bit faster. Uh, so maybe it was good. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it did affect how I paced the race, though, because um, I had I did have to go a little bit slower out than I wanted to, but then I ended up coming back really fast. So, I mean, it kind of worked out. It's, well, certainly worked out. Are, are you doing anything different? Like, are there different coaching techniques, or is there anything different that, that's clicked in in the recent past uh not well in terms of just like i moved to my training program and left birth through just over three years ago now and i mean my coach just knows what works for me we're like a dream team basically like he knows exactly how to work me to make me get fast basically i i may i may surprise him a couple times you know with the times that i post but and then the thing we're just on this trajectory where we just keep going up and up and up and then you'll see my twin brother as well he's hitting that too he's hitting 14 second pbs like nothing i'm looking at him thinking if he hits another one of those he's gonna pass me and he's gonna break my world record so i need to watch out for him it is keeping it in the family and and even but it's just to i suppose across the board there's so many irish records that would have fallen in the short course and it seems to be just a really it's a really sweet place at the moment for, for Irish swimming. Yeah, I think this championships definitely has brought Irish swimming to like the forefront of Irish sport, I think. Uh we I feel like we weren't that big of a sport in Ireland, to be honest. I know everybody learns to swim, but competitive swimming wasn't really that big. But I think this weekend has really changed it up a bit. And personally I think we're the best sport in Ireland at the moment. Uh but yeah, I, I guess we're gonna see. And I'm just looking forward to seeing that are nationals and see how many people are going to swim in 800 freestyle, which I'm looking forward to because like 20 heats of that would be great. What are the realistic ambitions and goals then for Paris 2024 for you? 
Well, I think we got to start off with the world champs. We see how that goes. Better my fourth places. And then, I mean, as we said before, we've got to keep stepping up. So we got to beat those results there in the Olympics, I guess. But yeah, I'd love to be on the podium for Ireland. I think it'd be amazing. Uh, yeah, even better to hear the national anthem for my fourth time in my career. Would even be better. Obviously, that's that's the end goal, and the world records, the gold medals, is, is where you want to be. But it, is it mentally tough? It, like it, the odd day, even just human nature, getting up at five AM to train every day. Is is there any days where you know you you need to kind of get yourself out of bed mentally before physically, if if that makes sense? Yeah. Well, I actually like getting out of bed at like five o'clock in the morning, so I'm actually all right with that. Sometimes it's the Tuesday and Thursday night sessions that are the worst ones, you know. But, I mean, they're the sessions that count is what, I, what everybody says. I mean, I've got, I don't know how many people now in our squad, I think 12, 12 people who do the same event as me in our in our club here in Loughborough. And, um, I mean, I go to training to beat them in the, the pool, to be honest. I go to training to race my brother, and I go to training to be the best uh to try and be the best in the world so i mean those sessions where you really like don't want to be there i guess are the ones that probably are the ones that make you become a champion well listen daniel i look forward to uh seeing you swim in the in the worlds and indeed hopefully represent on um on the podium at the olympics uh massive congratulations again and the very best of luck going forward yeah thank you very much game on on 2fm now, welcome back. We're going to turn our attention to the Premier League and I'm delighted to say that Stephen Kelly joins us on the line. How are you, Stephen? I'm good, Marie. How are you? It feels like the Premier League is a bit more erratic than it normally is. But, you know, when you're in it, sometimes, you you know, when you're in the middle of it, you think that, that it is more so than other years. But what do you think? Yeah, it just seems goals are flying in everywhere, every week. There's Fulham. always... <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, oh my, I, know, I, was, I was actually there at Fulham on Wednesday, uh, yeah, Wednesday night against Forest and they decimated them. Forest were awful. <laughs> and I thought, and I was like, this is amazing, Fulham are unbelievable. And then they go and do it again. I was like, this, and Imanez mm. getting, like, it was just, but they played some great football in both games and, yeah, just, it's unbelievable stuff. But I think every week there's like a five or a six nil, mm. which I, I'm sure that wasn't the case. Well, I'd like to think that wasn't the case when I was a defender. Um, I don't know, yeah. Fulham scored five, Bournemouth scored three in all Trafford. Must say that was a bit of a <laughs> anti-climax yeah. if you ask me. Yeah. I know there's never a week that we all come on happy as there. <laughs> so no. at least one of us is good. She's the were brutal, weren't they? Um, Oh, they were awful. They're like, listen, let the, it can't be around the bush. United were absolutely horrendous. They were awful. They played awful. Bournemouth could have scored five. They have one disallowed by that ridiculous rule of touching your hands. They they were awful all over the park at Old Trafford. And I've I've just been saying this. It's just I don't think we can ever look at United at the same. I, I it's gone those times from Ferguson. It's a long gone. I I in my playing career when I went to Old Trafford, if you came away with a draw, that was an unbelievable result. It, like, I mean, you were move heaven and earth to get a draw at Old Trafford. Now you can go there and you don't feel like it's that big a deal to come away with it. And if a Bournemouth to, to smash them three could have been four or five is just, yeah, it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. I was having good crack with Collie all weekend over Liverpool playing <laughs> at half 12. You as someone who played in the Premier League, like how big a deal is this? Not a big deal at all. Honestly, it's three hours. <laughs> three cheers, hours. Cheers, like, can we, it's not, where's Collie when you need it? No, I hope the producer's listening. Can you please clip that so I can it, play it back down and call you next week? It's it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. If you if 
two hours recovery for what they get like they're on you're on private planes like oh, we're, it's part of, I was in the Europa League with Fulham and we would play Thursday Sunday and it wouldn't matter you could be in Manchester on the Sunday you could be off in the far in the Russia on the Thursday and it wouldn't make a difference you just rest recover go again rest recover go again like these teams have squads of players I know he wants to put his best 11 out every week and I think you're at the stage where you are going to pick up knocks and injuries coming to Christmas time. But look at the schedule over Christmas, regardless of playing in Europe. It just goes crazy. Um, and you just get used to it because you, you end up just not doing as much in the training pitches. You know what, how your team's going to play. It's just recovering, play, recovering, play. And the momentum you can build up by playing games successively so quickly and the points they can get on the board in a, in a small space of time is huge. So I know they complain about it, but listen, they've gone and won another game, 2-1, coming back from 1-0 down and yeah, huge result for Liverpool. Stephen, what's your assessment of Liverpool? Are we looking at a team that could win the league or are we looking at a team who's getting out of jail or getting away with it week after week? I think from the from the get-go, we've always felt that since they've addressed the midfield situ- situation, they seem it's just a lot more complete. The front three or front five, which it basically is because they chop and change them, are a threat that cause teams problems. They've always got goals in them. And then sorting out that centre park has made a huge difference. Defensively, they still they still lack a bit, but you feel like they're 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 getting back towards that Liverpool that was pushing City. And I just think the the big result going to the SE had a what a few a week or two ago and then, you know, coming from home behind into a couple of games to win those matches last minute. Um they're showing real signs of being a team. And to be honest, I'm just delighted that they knocked Arsenal off the top. So <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's nasty. That's nasty. <laughs> they did not ask me. I didn't know you had a nasty streak in you now, Stephen. Well, well, well. The nice guy image is shattering. <laughs> No, it's Surely. going out the window. Cross that white line. <laughs> Surely it's Unai Emery that knocked Arsenal off the top. It is Unai Emery. And that guy is doing the best job I've seen in a long time for a manager. People talk about you know, Ten Hag. What he's doing there. Look at, look at Villa fighting on both fronts. You know, you're talking Newcastle are talking about being in Champions League and how they can't they, Newcastle's budget's off the charts and they're and they're struggling with it because physically they can't cope with it. Unai Emery, what he's doing with Aston Villa is beyond belief and he's going under the radar slightly because people have a love a love him with Postacoglu and what he's doing at Tottenham, which I do as well. But I'm looking at Emery thinking he has been sensational. I suppose because he's been in the Premier League before and it didn't go that well, there's always a, a shadow of doubt about him, but he has been revelationally at, at Villa. Absolutely sensational what they do. What about Arsenal though? Do you think that that loss is going to damage mm. the momentum a little bit? I still think Arsenal are in it. I really do. Um, Declan Rice, every time I've seen mm. him play, it kills us to talk about him being harsh, but it really, he has just been wonderful for them. And everybody, they had a wants, they probably should have got... everybody wants a Declan Rice style player now as well listen see you have won the league and who's been arguably the best player obviously Kevin De Bruyne out but we look at Rodri Mm -hmm. we go Rodri is the difference there Declan Rice is the difference for City and and he is Rodri He's, he's their version he's as good maybe not better he's younger and you just think that he could be the difference he just seems to be I know he's not won a lot in his career but he just has that presence about him already a young age and I think he could be a massive difference for Arsenal he could be he could be he could be the one that 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 it's just a little bit of an edge they need to, to, to push it forward. But listen, City are going to be back in this title race without a shadow of a doubt. After Christmas, City will be back pushing. They'd want to be, though. I mean, come on, Luton, the weekend. I know Haaland didn't play for City, but like, yeah. they weren't exactly entertaining to watch either. No, they weren't. And there is just chinks in the armour that you, you're not used to seeing. And I, I think that 
Pep will go and address a couple of things. I, I loved Guardiola. I thought he was the best centre-back at the World Cup. He was unbelievable. He was on, I was like, if Tottenham can get him, the difference he'll make in their side. But when you're playing him left-back, I know he can play there. Oh, I think City will go and get left-back in the, in the January transfer. And we know they can go and spend. So that I think that's somewhere they'll identify. And then if you get the centre-back parents correct, you get Stones back in the side, who was probably one of the best players last season. You get Kevin De Bruyne back in the side, one of the best players every season. It's it, come come January. They're they're a different team, and what they're playing now is far from what I think is their best team, and that's a worry for everybody else. Do you think poor old Kieran Trip here was having nightmares about Sun Saturday night? Yeah, but, listen, listen. As a fullback, you have those days where you get a winger who's just on it, and every time he gets the ball, he wants to run it down. But the worst part is when Sun is running, and it's in the box. So I feel sorry for him because you know you cannot touch him. You can't like even going near him because if he goes down it's a penalty and it's, he's trying to work his feet he's trying to do it the right way and then Son is such quick and he, his confidence is so high and he knows him he played with him and um, like I said I've had those moments mine was against Frank Ribery and I still have nightmares about it but it, listen it happens and you get on with it but he's, had, he's not had a great week Trippier <laughs> and he's a player I really like just before we finish up, um, Stephen, it's been reported uh, today that the two favourites now to replace Stephen Kenny are Lee Carsley and Chris Hutton. Who do you think would be the best option out of those two if it is down to those two? Um, I like both. I think Lee is up and come manager, young, enthusiastic, um, and is what he's done in the league. But I, I really like Chris Hutton as well. I, I, it's people would think Chris is a throwback to a different. He's not. Chris is Chris is not an old school manager. Chris is a scholar of the game. He's constantly learning, constantly improving. A wonderful coach as well, and someone that has a wealth of experience. And you just have to look what he's done with teams in and around the championship, which you kind of. That's where I put our team. You know, you kind of think a top end championship side that you can get the best out of them, get them promoted. Chris Hutton has done that with Newcastle. He's done amazing with Brown. he's put Brighton into the position they're in now I think he's someone that could really work on it and just from his wealth of experience that might be the right way to go but Cars is a great option as well if if he's interested Okay we'll be keeping an eye on that uh, Stephen yeah. as always <clears throat> thank you so much for joining us that is all we have time for Betty De Silva is up next followed by Jenny Green at 9 and then at 11 Dan Hegarty has a Shane McGowan special and you don't want to miss it